Welcome to 100 PM, episode 32. You're listening to 100 PM, the show where we're interviewing 100 expert product people from startups to enterprise and everything in between to bring you all the actionable advice you need to succeed in product management. Today, I'm talking to Julia Cantor, Senior Global Product Manager for Expedia. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com, the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics, recommended resources, and online learning. I'm Susanna Bate, product coach, startup mentor, and host of today's show. Let's dive right in and say hello to Julia Cantor. Okay, my name is Julia Cantor. I live in Chicago. I currently work for Expedia, where I'm a senior product manager. Um, and right now, I manage a product called Scratchpad, um, and also a track of products and features called Investment Tools, where we basically think of how we can help our travelers invest in their journey with Expedia in a, a better way that helps to answer their questions along their journey. Where I want to start is with your journey into product management, because on paper, it looks like you just went from school into product management, which is atypical. Yes. Is there more to that story or you wanted to be a product manager and then you sought that out? No, I definitely didn't even know the job existed. Um, I think at that time it was a very, very new role that wasn't really around. Um, I think. In college, I worked at a number of different internships that were varied from advertising to e-commerce. Uh, so when I f- found a job at American Express, basically the way the, the, the process worked was if you were an intern and they offered you a job, it was kind of like a med school process where they gave you a number of options and you determined which one you wanted. It was a kind of a matching process. So at the time, they had three teams available, and one of them was new product development within their loyalty space, and that just sounded very appealing because it was the most open-ended, and they, they pitched it to me in a way that we don't really know what we're going to be doing, but we'll be creating new products, and that just sounded cool as a 21-year-old, so I went for it. And about a month in, um, it was when mobile was really coming into play, uh, so it became clear that really all we're going to be doing is focusing on mobile product, so it really happened uh, as a happenstance. So what was the first product that you built or or participated in building then? Yeah, another, I think a lot of people's stories are a mix of um, skill, but also luck. So in the early part of my career, it was a lot of luck because I happened to join this great team and we knew we wanted to build a mobile journey for the membership rewards program at the time, Um, but we didn't know what what we wanted it to be. So my job on the team at the time was really, first let's figure out what we want to build. So we looked across a number of different paths we could go down and we determined based on really a number of factors at the time that we wanted to build out a gift card shopping space within uh, the mobile journey. Um, And as it happened, the woman that should have been doing that job actually decided to leave the company. Uh, So there was really no one else on the team except for me to take it up uh, fresh out of college. So that really was the first product I built. It was a a mobile web experience for shopping and purchasing gift cards through your loyalty points. Is it still around? I think it's still around, but it's it's been iterated on, thank goodness, because it was not a very good experience when it started. It was great for, you know, 2000 
I don't even remember at this time, 2006 to 2007. Um, so it was great for when it started, but nowadays they've iterated on it quite a bit. Right. Yeah. So you kind of just got called up to the majors. Somebody yeah. got out on a knee injury and exactly. then you got to go up to the majors and, and hit a home run exactly. first time out of the gates. Yeah. What, what was the biggest learning lesson from that particular project, if you can remember back? Oh, man. I think it was that I learned how much I really enjoyed working with a number of different types of people. Um, because at American Express at the time, they had product managers, but they were always focused on the, the card products. So you could be a platinum card product manager or you know, a gold card product manager. But this was something totally unique for the company. Uh, and I had the opportunity to work hand-in-hand -hand with our creative agency because they didn't have in-house UX at the time, hand-in-hand um, -hand with our engineering team, which was in Arizona at the time. So I think I really got to learn how much I loved that, just working with so many disciplines. How did you explain to like your parents and your family and friends what you do as a product manager? Oh, that is such a good question. Uh, I don't think I figured it out yet, but my new spiel that I'm trying out is I start with a physical product and I help them understand, okay, you have this TV that you like and there's somebody probably at that TV company, you know, at Samsung that thought about do people actually want this TV? Is there a market for it? Um, is it going to be easy to use when we build it? Uh, is the technology we're introducing for it going to scale? I do that, but for digital products. That's my new spiel. Right. And it's working like 50% of the time. They start to glaze over after a yes. while. They're just like, okay, that's interesting. Now. Yeah. But I guess if you say, I work at Amex, then there's this kind of traditional cachet. Oh, well, they're an established company. Good for you, yes. dear. Very Amex so. seems like a reputable company. Very much so. You've yeah. worked for a lot of reputable companies. You went from Amex and then you were at JP Morgan Chase. I mean, did you just like get obsessed with banking? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Definitely quite the opposite, but I actually had an amazing boss at American Express, um, who I'm still in touch with. He's awesome. He's at Google now. Um, but his advice for me at one point was, anytime you're looking for a new role, try to keep 50% familiar and 50% new. And that way, you don't fall on your face, um, but you're still learning and being challenged. So when I decided that I wanted to leave American Express for really reasons of location at the time, I thought that keeping kind of the financial services space would help me, but I moved to the B2B side of the business still doing mobile product management but at JP Morgan Chase okay that's actually a great piece of advice I mean in a way it's kind of like what a pivot is yeah one thing stays constant exactly. and another thing changes okay yeah. um, but then you got into travel so yes. you were at orbits now you're at Expedia so was it I love travel how can I get in there um, I wish it was that easy. Uh, I love travel. I never really imagined that I would be working for a travel company, although I'm very happy I do. It was really, um, at a certain point, I decided I wanted something new. I didn't want to be in financial services anymore. I loved product management. Um, and I was in Chicago already, and I had heard so many good things about Orbitz. Um, it was frequently rated the number one, or one of the top 10 companies on Glassdoor as a tech company. So I decided to see if they had an opening, and fortunately they did. So I got to join as a product manager at Orbitz. I don't, I don't remember how many years ago, but at that time. Right, because yeah. you were coming from New York. Uh, I was actually already here in Chicago. You were already yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you have to, when you moved from one market to another, mm -hmm. sort of rebuild because now yeah. you're the new kid on the block? You did? Yes, totally. Chicago was like, I don't know how it worked in Manhattan, Yeah. but uh, you're going to pay girl. your dues. Yeah, it's really tough. I really, especially when I see people 
further in their careers. Fortunately, I was still early on that it wasn't too tough to break away from that network. But I have a lot of respect for people that take a big risk, you know, when they're 40s or 50s moving to a totally new market because you really do have to start from scratch in a lot of ways. Maybe not so much today now that people are moving around a little bit more, but it really felt like I didn't know anybody. How is the, you know, I'm interested in Chicago because we're here. This whole season of conversations is focused on Chicago product managers. (laughs) How is it different from New York? We'll let the New York people speak to this later in the show, but for now you get an opportunity to shine a light. Ooh, well, I hope no one will be mad. I'm still friends with a lot of my college friends. Um, But I think in Chicago, there's a certain humility that comes with being here. Um, You're not as obsessed with some of the pieces of conversation that become quite popular in New York, like how much do you spend on rent? What neighborhood do you live in? Do you know this person? I think there's a lot of more social cachet almost that comes with living in New York City. And I imagine same thing is true in Silicon Valley. And here it feels very honest. Um, that's probably the only way I could describe it. It's, it's very honest. It's just true to, are you doing a good job? Are you a good person? Is Are you somebody that I want to work with? It's much more focused on the, the real things that matter. Yeah, I mean, uh, humility is a good word. I would echo the sentiment. Mm-hmm. I, I've been having the good fortune of meeting a bunch of great folks here on this tour. And everyone is just so generous and kind and you know even the leadership style seems to be really rooted in how can i empower my team how can i you know help people find their right relation and, and you know la it's interesting because you know part of the reason we started the show there is is because that's where i'm based mm-hmm. out of and it's nice to shine a light on everyone talks about you know san francisco and silicon valley and, and there is an interesting tech scene that emerges here what is the tech scene here i mean is it yeah. is it close-knit is it you know still finding its own identity I think it's a little bit of both. It definitely is still finding its own identity, although I think, I hope uh, that the next five years will be pretty important for Chicago. It does seem like a lot of companies are realizing, holy smokes, there's a really big center of talent here that's not as competitive as Silicon Valley. So we do see companies, you know, Google just opened an office here, Amazon, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, they all have smaller offices here. Obviously, Expedia has a pretty big presence here. I think I passed Twitter on the way to your office. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. So I think a lot of companies are realizing that, wait a minute, it really actually makes sense to be in Chicago because there's so much good talent and there's not as much competition yet from a lot of really well-known, you know, tech companies. All right, let's let's talk about Expedia. So remind us your title. It's fancy. It's like senior global oh, product no, yeah. manager. I'm just in product. I'm product manager. I I yeah. don't think we should ignore that global part of the title. It sounds oh. very worldly. Is oh, it just well, because yeah, it's a worldly yeah. company? You have to be global. I think so. I don't know where that came from, um, but I guess I'm glad it's in there because I that was actually one of my goals. I never knew what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted it to be international and to deal with a lot of different cultures and people. So I love that part of Expedia that even not just the customers that we deal with, but even the employees that I talk with every day are in everyday different countries. And that's really, really cool. For our listeners' benefit, Scratchpad is essentially a feature within the Expedia platform. Well, let me back up a step. I'm assuming everybody knows what Expedia is. Maybe everyone doesn't know. Uh What is Expedia? 
Oh, what is Expedia Inc. or what is Expedia.com? Oh, well, now I have no <laughs> idea. What is, what is, what are both? Well, Expedia.com is a website or a mobile app that you can go to to help you get places to shop for different travel products like flights, hotels, cars, you know, whatever you might need to complete your journey. Okay. Um, but that's just one brand. Um, Expedia Inc. globally is a collection of brands and businesses that includes you know, Hotels.com, Trivago, there's a big distribution business, there's a huge supply part of the business. Um, it's almost hard to fathom how big and how complex Expedia Inc. is in terms of the different solutions that people think about every day to make sure people can easily go where they want to go. It's an empire, basically. Well, I think, but it's a, a, a good a good one for the better, <laughs> serving for the better. It's one of the smaller companies I've actually worked with when you compare it to Amex or Chase. How many folks at Expedia Inc., approximately? I think approximately 20,000. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, it's yeah. a lot of big companies. So Orbitz w- is part of, you were at Orbitz, they're yes. part of the Expedia Inc. good empire? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So about, um, the, I'm iffy on the timing, but I think about a year and a half ago, Expedia acquired Orbitz Worldwide, which was also its own mini empire, you could say, that had a collection of brands like Orbitz, Cheap Tickets, eBookers, also a distribution business. So we were acquired, we were headquartered in Chicago, but now a lot of us serve kind of the greater good. So there are still people that focus on the individual brands, but I focus um, on a product level on solutions and, and features that can serve a number of brands. Okay, so then is Scratchpad an asset of Expedia Inc. that's leveraged across multiple properties, or it's a module or feature of Expedia.com? It is not specific to Expedia.com. So there's an organization um, within Expedia called the Brand Expedia Group that contains brands like Expedia, Orbitz, um, Cheap Tickets, Travelocity, and actually all those brands benefit from Scratchpad and the benefits, uh, the user benefits we provide. All right, so Mm -hmm. tell us how it works. Okay, so Scratchpad's actually evolved quite a bit and is in the middle of an evolution. Uh, It started really as a way to remove the need for paper notes. Um, And about four years ago, there was um, a lot of ethnographic research done, and we realized that it wasn't the dark ages, but yet still people were keeping paper notes as they were shopping for travel and writing down what they searched for, writing down the prices, and there's really no need for that today. We have technology that can do that for us. So Scratchpad, at the time I was not on the team, so I can't take credit for it, Uh, but it was created to really eradicate paper notes and be that memory for the traveler to remember what they searched for, help them know when prices have changed, compare one versus the other. Um, So it's been a great benefit to travelers for the last four three or four years. Okay. Yeah. And you, you said it's in the middle of a, a major sort of overhaul or change. So what is, you know, Scratchpad 2.0 or whatever .0 that it is? Yeah, well, you're, we're actually, um, you could already see this starting on Expedia.com, but we're realizing that it's one thing to remember all the searches that you've done, but it's another thing for you to be able to save something more explicitly. Or, you know, you might not need to remember all the 30 flights that you search for, maybe just the one or two that you might actually book or that are more specific to your needs. So we're starting on this journey to really help be the place where our travelers can collect options of interest to them, be able to share that with friends, and but still to remain informed, because that's always been a key facet of Scratchpad, mm-hmm. is the ability through not just the web web piece, but even emails to remind and different notifications, remind travelers, hey, here's what's changed. Maybe you want to take a second look. Right. Now, this is interesting in my mind because you're essentially creating a product that lives 
in different pl- uh, properties. Yes. And then each of those properties presumably have their own kind of user segments and and different needs and different sort of brand associations. So how does that influence the work that you do where you're essentially thinking about a core solution Mm -hmm. that's going to solve the same need presumably across multiple properties, but then how is Scratchpad on Expedia.com maybe different than Scratchpad on, would it make sense, in Orbitz? Or or you could even say Expedia, but in Japan. Oh, Expedia, okay. Because even Expedia.com has about, or Expedia brand has about 30-ish different points of sale, one for each country that we operate in. Yeah. So how, how do you manage for those different geographic markets, as an example? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's not unique to my product. I think really any product manager within Expedia Inc. thinks about this, uh, because you're right, there are cultural differences or geographic differences that might impact the experience you create. I think within the global product organization, which is where I operate, we try to make sure the solution we're creating from the start is as global as possible. However, we are really fortunate. We basically have these I, they don't think they don't call themselves this, but I call them kind of like the Six Sigma team. Um, so they'll come in and really think about: Is the solution we have right now does it make sense for Japan? Does it make sense for the region in which we're operating? Is there something we're seeing in the data that tells us the traveler needs something different here, an adjustment? And so we'll actually work with them, and they'll do kind of that more regional testing that might be needed. So how is it structured? I mean, there's 20,000 people. Obviously, you don't interface with. Yeah. All 20,000. Tell us a little bit about the structure of your kind of direct team. Sure. I work with, like any product manager, a number of people in analytics and UX and technology and other also different product managers. Um, On a day-to-day basis, I'm talking with my technology team um, and really with Scratchpad, we're, um, we're almost an open source platform within Expedia. So there's a number of partner teams that I work with every day that want to leverage our data or leverage our web um, client to try it, to try and test something. So I'll talk with them on a daily basis, our UX team. Does that answer your question? To, well, it answers it in part. I want to go a little deeper. So how many, I mean, you're a senior product person. Do you have kind of a, a fleet of junior product no. managers? No. No. Just so, the model, every company has these different titles. I think there are a few um, senior product managers within Expedia that do have uh, one or two people reporting to them, but the general model is um, really everyone's an individual contributor working with different teams until uh, within Expedia that you get to kind of this director level. Okay, yeah. so you it, you own your product own and then product. you have the, the specialists that help you bring the ideas to life. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and is everybody here in Chicago with you? No one is here in Chicago with me. Nobody? It's just me. Well, there's a lot of people in the Chicago office, as you've seen when you walk through, but none of them actually work directly on Scratchpad. Uh, so I'll interface with some people every now and then, like a partner team, for example. There's a lot of people here from our lodging team that I talk with. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, I actually don't work with anyone in Chicago. Wow, so you're essentially managing a, a geographically distributed group. Yes. And is your team then also spread out across multiple different locations? Yes, yeah, okay. and multiple continents. Okay, so talk to us about how that affects your flow in the day-to-day. Yeah, it's been uh, an adjustment. I've always really worked with 
as I look back, I've never been fortunate enough to work with a team where 100% of everyone is in the same location. Okay. Um, there's always been teams either in India or Arizona, different cities or countries from me. In this case, it's probably to the extreme where I'm here, um, but my core technology team is actually in Seattle. Uh, there's some people in Montreal. And then even recently, as of a few weeks ago, there's a big team I'll be working with in Brisbane, Australia. Um, wow. There's also a lot of folks that I work with in London, but they're not directly on the, the Scratchpad team. So does that result in you having to be awake 24 hours a day to get a task no, done? No, no, I couldn't. Even, I couldn't do it. I think you have to set boundaries for yourself and what's important to you. So, for example, I actually like it because I'm able to come in a little bit later. So usually, I. If I'm not here, you know, before 9.30 or 10, no one even knows because no one's contacted me at that point because of the West Coast focus. Right. Um, so I usually, my hours are, you know, kind of 9.30 to 5.30 to 6. Uh, so it's very reasonable, but you do have to make the extra effort when it's needed. So, you know, once a week I will stay late to talk to the Brisbane team, and that's okay because it's needed to really create that team atmosphere. Well, I would think the other thing that's needed is process, right? Where yeah. when you're when you're in a physical environment, maybe for better and for worse, there's a certain amount of, hey, let's just, you know, go grab that conference room and, and jam this out. Right. When you have to be mindful of, oh, this team is about to, to power off for the day or it's a holiday in Australia tomorrow yeah. and you have to be a little bit more teed up around key meetings and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I think being organized um, in any role you're in, technology, a lot of our technology teams are super organized. And as long as you are able to have a very transparent, organized view into what you're working on, it allows other teams to be able to pick up very easily where you left off or just to know what someone else was doing. I think being organized really helps. Also, it's it's. Uh, for better and worse, but Expedia has this um, philosophy where really any team should be able to use the tool that they want that works for them and their working structure. Okay. So there's not a mandatory, like, you have to use Jira. In fact, a lot of teams don't use Jira. Yeah. Um, so, I don't blame them. Yeah, there's no perfect tool. It's not yeah. like create it. What do you um, use for your ticket tracking? Well, right now it's all over the place because we're in the midst of combining a lot of teams, um, but it's between... Uh, most teams between Jira, Mingle, and Trello. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, very different applications going on here. Very different. And even recently, I tried a new tool that I read about called Mural, okay. which is like a virtual whiteboarding tool. So I tried it for um, a, a two-hour meeting that we held where it's this kind of collaborative editing tool that's meant for, you can paste stickies and create different templates. So that was really neat to try. Right, like it emulates the sort of the manual process but gives you a digital interface. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I always say about tools, they're great for accelerating that which works. Yeah. But if you don't actually have a process underneath it, all you end up doing is spending a lot of time figuring out how do I customize this? And, and of course the answer is figure out what works with your team and then put a tool over top to make things go faster. Great tip for any team. What uh, What do you do? So are you like on video chats all, all the day? time? Um, and I'm kind. Can I curse on here? I yeah, should. curse okay. away. We love cursing on I'm, the show. I'm kind of a dick about it because we there is a consistent tool that most people at this point use, which is Blue Jeans for video chats. Okay. Um, and people have a love hate relationship with it, like any tool. But when I see someone join a call and their video is not on, I will call them out because that in this type of global world where I'm probably, you know, there's a good chance I may never meet you in person. You better have that camera on to really create 
maximize the connection that we could have. So does this work? First of all, you said everyone's using blue jeans, and then because I'm a Neil Diamond fan, I go to like forever <laughs> in blue jeans versus like forever against blue jeans. But we digress. Um, is it your camera is on, and at any point somebody can activate a chat? No. 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 So you still have to buy into the yes. not being watched. It's not, not being brother. watched, at least by no one in Expedia. Yeah. Right. Who knows? In my home laptop, yeah. I know a lot of people tape over their video cameras nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All the all the real techie folks do that. Yeah, yeah. They they know something we don't. Maybe yeah. I'm not sure. Um, so you know, we talk about about tools, about process. Certainly, when you're working with remote teams, mm -hmm. it's important. What are some of the other qualities that you think make for a great product manager? Um, or that you think that you've had to learn in order to succeed in, in this kind of environment? Yeah, I think, you know, my favorite part of being a product manager is honestly that it doesn't force you to choose what career you want to do. And that's always something I struggled with is I didn't know if I wanted to be a journalist or a psychologist or go into marketing, which is this ambiguous field. And it really allows you to do anything that you want. Um, you almost, I listened to one of your past interviews. Okay. Um, I forgot his name, but he talked about it's the career for a generalist. Okay. And I think that is so true, and it was such a good point. And I think that's really the best thing about being a product manager. And to answer your question, what I think makes a good product manager is having an active curiosity in really each one of those skill sets, is thinking about how can I analyze you know data a little bit better how can I understand people a little bit better how can I learn more about technology how can I be a better writer a better speaker I think it's if you're actively curious in a lot of things it's it's almost the career for you because it doesn't make you choose yeah I, I think I hear that a lot and certainly being having been in this field for a long time myself I think it's the thing that drives me is there's always opportunity to create there's always opportunity to sort of mm -hmm. reinvent uh, the city situation and the rules that govern the situation yeah, yeah. too. So a tremendous amount of freedom. What do you think is your kind of special sauce blend of PM skill sets? Oh. You know, like if I were going to hire you yeah. and you were going to come and make a business case for me about what you think you contribute the most as a product Ooh, manager. It's a great question. And I actually philosophically I find those questions hard to answer because I think the best people that can answer those questions are others about you right. um, that can truly answer the type of person you are um, I think my biggest skill set or what was the what was the term that you just used? well this yeah. just the the, the blend of yeah. skills really okay. because you know there as generalists were we're business oriented right which is sales and marketing mm -hmm. mindset we're technically oriented if we mm -hmm. work certainly with digital products and we have to understand user experience right yeah. as the lifeline to the customers so kind of within that constellation what's your unique yeah. makeup would you say I think um, one of the biggest things if I could look back and think that I brought to each team is an ability but also a passion to just hit the ground running okay. and I think that's needed even if you work at a, an ultra big company or a tiny company you need to move fast um, and you need to be able to make decisions quickly um, but with an educated perspective um, so I think that desire to hit the ground running not want a lot of oversight um, I hope makes me an asset um, and I also think the desire to work with people uh, because if you are not good at relationship management or if you don't come to work with a positive attitude 
I actually think that's a deal breaker for any product manager. If you are more negative than you are positive, I think that would be a no for me if I were ever interviewing somebody because whether you like it or not, in some cases you become like a cheerleader for your teams and you might not think you're actively in that role, but you are. You're there to make sure everyone's excited about what you're working on, that partner teams know what you're doing. You know, if there's a roadblock in the road, which there are always is, that you can think quickly about how to get past it, about how to pivot. And I think maintaining that kind of positive attitude and being able to communicate that to different types of personalities is key. Well, I think what we can also do is invite your team members to listen into this episode oh, and then they can comment <laughs> exactly, yeah. in the show notes and say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Julia, you asked for a mirror. I'm going to be a mirror for you. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling that you are excellent at uh, bringing a positive attitude. You, uh, listeners can't see it. She's just got ear to ear smile, yeah. lots of light emanating. So I want to talk. Well, you know, you and I spoke before we did the interview, we talked a little bit about gender in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've shared uh, certainly on the show and with our listeners that it's an important it's an important angle for our show, right? That we don't want to just talk to a um, hundred people of the same gender, a hundred right. people of the same experience. And I'm always curious to hear, especially from women, what it's been like to be in technology and and how does the gender conversation manifest for you as as an individual? Mm -hmm. That's such a big subject and it's something I'm very passionate about, not even just gender balance, but equality. Um, There's so much bigger than gender, of course, it's just something we can talk about today. Yeah, I think starting out in my career, I never felt it at all. Uh, And I actually felt more of the not active discrimination, but I always felt insecurities about my age and people calling that out or feeling uncomfortable because I was usually the youngest person in the room. But as I get a little bit older, I don't think anyone that I've worked with is actively, you know, um, hoping for an imbalance or will actively have bad intentions. But I think it's just so built into the system that we work in. It's almost hard if you're a millennial like me at this point to have patience with it because... Wait, it, you're a millennial? Yes. Isn't a millennial if you were born before or after 1980? I, I don't really know. Oh. how. They, I, think it, I think you're right. I think they say... But um, is this over now? Should I yeah, leave? end of interview. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess I just I don't know why yeah. I didn't think that you were a millennial. Yeah, I thought. Well, if if the definition is 1980 or later, then I'm a millennial. All right. Yeah. Fine. Sorry right, to interrupt. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard to have patience because change takes time, and even in the short time I've been at Expedia, I do see change taking place, and I love working here for a lot of different reasons but one of it being that there is so much open conversation about change and um, not just gender balance but really any type of positive change and contributing to a good society but change takes forever and that it's really really hard to be patient I don't know I think one thing that I've seen to be valuable especially being away from headquarters where even regardless of what gender you conform to if you're not in the center of um, constant activity you have to be a little bit louder or be a little bit braver, I think, to have that visibility, to have your voice heard. And I think as a woman, sometimes it's hard or it's not um, necessarily what we've always been preached, which is to raise your hand first or to speak first. Um, That's something, whether it becomes annoying or not, but I actually really try to do because I think it, it helps if you're really passionate about the subject or whatever business conversation is going on to 
be at the table, let your voice heard no matter what level you are within the company. So you, you, you take up space is what you're saying? Yeah, but okay. in, you know, make sure it's space that's valuable, that you're not, you're actually contributing something positive or you're listening and, and making a difference afterward. Um, but I think contributing with a purpose. Are there kind of like task forces in Expedia, cultural task forces that, that try to uh, encourage and promote these conversations? Are you part of any of those task yeah, forces? Yeah, there's a ton. And similar to, you know, there's not being any uh, specific guidance on what technology tool to use. It's very similar on the cultural side because every office is different. I've had the fortune of going to a lot of our other offices and they all have their own culture. So there's no recipe for how to do it. There are a little, a lot of groups that start up here and there. There are, you know, company funded organizations. Just in Chicago recently we started something I think called the Employee Action or Advisory Council, which I'm a part of. That's really just thinking about how can Chicago be continue to be a really great place to work within Expedia and how can we continue to grow and invest in the office from a a fun perspective from a professional development perspective so that's been really really enjoyable to be a part of I guess that would also be a, a perk of being part of not just being a global product manager but part of such a global organization as you could theoretically yeah. say you know what I'm gonna move to Japan yeah and then they would make room for you like, is it accommodating in that regard it's amazing from what I've seen I I've not voiced that desire to move uh, yet yeah uh, but from what I've seen there's it's really a people-focused company and that if you want to make a change or try something out, it, it seems like most, most all the time, the company finds a way to make it happen. Um, that's really exciting. You know, I don't want to move at this point, but if I eventually do, it's really uh, fortunate to be working at a company that could potentially accommodate it. And I was listening to some of your other podcasts um, or episodes and everyone deals with the same types of issues as a product manager, you know, how should I, should I even create a roadmap? If so, how long should it be for, you know, what tools should I use? How should I work with partners? All these questions are the same, but they're almost, it's almost like each one of those companies is a little microcosm within Expedia because it is such a complex organization that makes it, the challenges are a little bit more exciting and they're always with more scale and more impact. You know, Scratchpad, every change will impact millions of travelers right away. Yeah, I mean, it, this is another prevalent theme in our show in, and really one of the catalyzing reasons for doing it, which is there's so many ways the product management experience can manifest. Mm -hmm. and some people, you know, do really well in the startup environment. They want that kind of scrappy, I see an opportunity, I'm going to take it, mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the pioneer of this organization. Some people want to enter in when the company has found product market fit, when there is a certain amount of stability. Some people want to be part of bringing something to scale. And so knowing kind of what your what excites you as it relates to product, I think um, makes sense because when and I and I hear you that in some ways it sounds a little bit like Expedia, the good empire. Um, <laughs> has all of these kind of micro units mm -hmm. and, and micro identities inside and and that translates in a good way, but that knowing kind of the space where you're gonna thrive is an important part of your fit. And large enterprise organizations don't always ha afford that. It's sometimes yeah. it's like, I'm employee number yeah. 14,373. Yeah, yeah, that's different. Yeah. 
And that's not to say I do see myself eventually uh, trying something smaller, even trying something myself maybe. But for right now and for the foreseeable future, I'm actually really, really happy in my current position and seeing the types of opportunities and challenges that I could learn from where I, where I am. If there was any other product in Expedia Inc. that you could go oh. and work at, <laughs> do you have like one that you secretly cut? I know you love Scratchpad, oh, but yeah. is there one that you think, oh, I love that product. I'd love to get my hands on it. That is such a good question. I'm actually going to answer it with what I'm currently doing because I started on Scratchpad, but even in the last few months, I've actually taken on a new stream of work, okay. that kind of investment tool space where hopefully I'll be able to create some new products later on. Okay. So I actually don't want to be doing anything different um, because I really love working on horizontal products. Mm-hmm. Even in really any company that I've worked on, I've looking back, I always work on this space that's horizontal that define that for our audience when you say horizontal products what do you mean so someone might define it differently but I think about it as um, a space that stretches across many different business verticals or many different lines of business okay Um, so within Expedia as an example uh, we might think of you know we have the lodging line of business the flights line of business cars and each of those teams of course has their own product team and they have their own complexities and challenges to think about. I love working on something like Scratchpad or even Loyalty in the Past because it touches all of those. Um, It's more challenging sometimes to understand where where you fit or where you can try to make um, an impact first, but I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the ambiguity of it. Right, well it what it also brings to attention I think and of course with product management we talk a lot about stakeholders, mm-hmm. right? And you're always in this process of aligning yeah. stakeholders. But in, in a scenario like the one that you describe, and this goes back to what I was asking about earlier. So one level of complexity is here's this tool called Scratchpad that needs to have its own identity in different brands. Mm-hmm. Then here's this tool called Scratchpad that needs to be valuable for not just users of Expedia.com, but some users of Expedia.com presumably are segmented as hotel users. They don't typically leverage the tool for flights, but they do it for hotels. And so how does the Scratchpad tool then become valuable in that use case? Nested. So it's like, it's kind of like a Russian doll. It's like a use case inside a use case inside a use case. Yeah, I think we're... That's what a horizontal product is when you get them all out laid on the shelf. Yeah, that's true, that's true, yeah. Um, And there's always one partner, one line of business that's a big nesting doll that you have to think about first or prioritize. That's so true. It's it's something we've started to pivot on our thinking a little bit. And being this horizontal product or horizontal platform, how can we not think so much about the line of business or the product that the traveler is trying to book, but really answering the question that's most important for them at the time. So regardless of what product you're booking or what trip you're going on, um, there's always a question that you're asking and it could be when is the best time to go, it could be what are the best hotels to stay at in this neighborhood, what is the right neighborhood. Um, There's these questions that everyone or most people ask at different stages of the journey uh, for booking their travel or even after their travel. So we're starting to think about how can we use Scratchpad as a tool to really deliver the answers in the right context. And does Scratchpad give you a kind of, you know, 
so you brought up uh, what's the best hotels to stay in the city. Mm -hmm. Can this be my forever diary of I'm thinking of taking all these trips. I've got a short list of great hotels in Chicago, a short list. Is that the idea? It's as big as I want it to be? Yeah, let's talk again in six months and you can you can tell me what oh, you think. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> all right, we do a segment called Get the Job, Learn the Job, Love uh -huh. the Job. So what advice can you offer to the next fresh out of school, doesn't know they want to get into product or knows they want to get into uh -huh. product, but doesn't know how to get in because it's hard breaking in. So first thing I think is be a little bit educated because it's amazing how much you will stand out by just educating yourself a little bit. So if you find that you think you want to go into product, or let's take even the case of someone who doesn't. When I was originally and when I started my career looking for jobs the way I would do it is I would look up Wikipedia city and the list of companies within that city and figure out what are the companies here that I would be interested to work for so even if you take that approach and you are proactive enough about reaching out to someone to talk to I think just being a little bit educated about what they do and the company or business they operate in will make you stand out so much more than another kid who might send an email that is really just doing it because they're called professor said to network right uh, so i think just having a little bit of education and insight into your questions will make you stand out a lot yeah well and purpose i'm hearing yeah. as well there's mm -hmm. a there's an undertone of i'm writing to you because i think this company might be a good fit yeah. for me yeah. versus i'm just looking for jobs clang clang yes, clang, yes, clang, yes. clang hire me please anyone yeah okay <laughs> what about like hard lessons learned do you have a particular failure or you know learning moment that you remember from some stage in your career that you thought oh I will warn people. Yes. Don't do what I did. Two. Two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that stick out. And one was early on in my career with the same boss that gave me that really good advice early on. He gave me another piece of really good advice. His name's Dustin Harris, if he's listening. Dustin's um, so wise. He's so wise. Um, at one point, I was, it was, again, I was really green and something happened, you know, something wasn't working well. Maybe a deadline fell off or, you know, a sprint fell off and I started freaking out a little bit and he pulled me aside and kind of gave me this lesson of unless it's really important or something is really fallen off the hinges don't freak out you know you have to for the right audience especially if you're dealing with executives you have to maintain a level of cool that you'll get it handled and I think that was a really good perspective and something that as time went on just personally I've tried to deal with a lot is it, in, it depends a lot on your philosophy with life and how you think about big topics like religion and all that. For me personally, I don't think a lot of this matters, right? It, for me, it's all about am I a good person? Am I enjoying the people that I'm working with? Um, am I contributing to something positive? And the rest will sort itself out as we put our minds toward it. Okay. What was the other one? Oh, the other one was actually at Orbitz. Um, and the lesson learned, there was a marketing team, so in loyalty space, like a lot of product teams deal with marketing stakeholders a lot. Um, and in the loyalty product space especially, we were dealing with the loyalty marketing team all the time. They were our biggest stakeholder. And I think saying no became a huge lesson for me there um, and something I, I probably learned too late, but just being able to ask why of people and 
pressure them to give you an answer and saying no if it's being confident and able to say no if it's not the answer that you want to hear. That was something I, I learned in that experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great advice for product people and, and also great advice for life. Yeah. But but you, you make an important point, which is you have to kind of understand your why, their why, the, the purpose behind it. Just just saying yes and just saying no, if it's equally arbitrary, doesn't usually contribute value. Yes. One person I work with right now, my, my VP actually likes to say that if someone's not mad at you, then you're not doing a good enough job because it's part, <laughs> of, it's part of our job to say no to people, to be able to have a perspective and a point of view on what's important. If you're saying yes to everyone, then it makes sense. You're not really doing your job. So many good nuggets of wisdom <laughs> here in the walls. I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah, I work with all these people. All right. What's your favorite thing about being a product manager? Oh, um, it comes back to, it sounds so cheesy. I'm such a cheeseball. Um, it comes back to, honestly, I think working with different people and not being forced into this this box of how you define yourself and being able to work with so many disciplines, so many different backgrounds. I know I might be skipping ahead, but I know you ask a lot of your podcast guests on what are resources they might read. I like how knowledgeable you are about this show. You're like the number one fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is so great. Um, But I actually would recommend... It's going to be my next question, by the way. Okay. So just go right into it. Just go into it. I would recommend if you're a product manager, if you want to get into product, for God's sakes, do not read product books. Um, I actually think that's terrible advice because there's so many, well, not terrible advice, I take that back, but I respect, I really do respect people that can work all day and then go home and read a book about product management or about the lean startup. I could never do that. I've done it, I tried it once and it was horrible because I'm at work all day and the last thing I want to think about when I go home is work again. Um, I have other hobbies and interests that I take part in. I could, you know, I can entertain a YouTube video and educate myself in other ways. But I think if you, as a product manager, you should be thinking about people all the time, not just the people that you work with, but the people that you're delivering your end product to. Mm -hmm. And if you don't yet even have an interest in understanding people, but you're more interested in understanding the lean startup, you're going way too far in the other direction before you've gotten the basics down first. So I would encourage someone first to travel, learn about different cultures, you know, go into places that are not in your comfort level, learn about people before you learn about how to create the right roadmap. Beautiful. All right. Well, we're going to burn the recommended resources oh, yeah. list and uh, we won't ask any more guests. Oh, no. No, just, we're still going to ask the question because some people do like to learn by reading. Yes. But I, I think, you know, what's underneath all of that is, of course, empathy. Yeah. Right. And, and this is another uh, big theme of product management and, and your ability to understand somebody else's point of view in a critical moment like you described earlier of what is this the problem that they're trying to solve right now or what is the question they're asking themselves and so having enough awareness of what somebody else might think or wonder especially if they are a different gender different age different race what that could look like is is important so i think it's great advice last question before we wrap here julia is there a personal or professional mantra that you use to guide yourself do you want to share it with us um 
sure. It's not a huge guide, but I, it will come into play sometimes. Um, and I totally stole it from my husband, so I give full credit to him. But I think it was actually from his baseball coach a long time ago that said, next play. Uh, and I love that um, because especially for someone like me who tends to fall on anxiety and concern, I think being able to realize and learn from what happened, even if it wasn't great, and move on and go to the next play is really, really good advice. Because in the end, what might seem huge and like the end of the world right now won't be tomorrow. Um, and it's great if you can learn from that and do a better job the next day. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end. Thank you so much for being a part of our project. Thank so you. great to meet you. Julia Cantor, Expedia. Thank you for listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us get discovered by leaving a five-star rating and review right from your podcast app. Our mission is to help you excel at product management. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great free resources to help you on your path, including all of the recommendations from our fabulous guests week over week. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.